This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This is How Do You Do That with Emily Tresseter on Joy 94.9, the show answering the questions you didn't even know you had. This week's guest does a much better job at introducing themselves than I could. So here they are. My name is Jazz Money. I'm a uh, Wiradjuri poet and filmmaker and occasional artist who is based on beautiful Gadigal land in Sydney. Uh, though today I'm on Bundjalung country, um, Arakal Nation, which is a, a joy to be in, a, in this beautiful land. Uh, country that has just been cared for by Cassodians since always and continues today and so with culture and, and present. Jazz Money is a poet among other things. We'll chat about how she found her way to poetry, why it's important for their voice to be heard, and how their work in film informs their poetry. Before we get to that though, I wanted to know when Jazz Money started writing poetry. It, at a very distinct moment, like it's not like I was kind of <laughs> thinking about it and then got into it or doing it slowly. There was a day when I was, I was living in New York in 2015 and I, I was just in a really funny point in my life. I was like <laughs> living overseas for the first time and I had recently been married to a beautiful man but we hadn't seen each other for months. We'd kind of gone our separate ways after we got married for all sorts of different reasons. And I was sitting on the bus from Queens to Brooklyn and just like trying to figure out who I was and why I felt so anxious and worried and confused and like I think beginning to come to terms with my identity as like a queer person and as a First Nations person living overseas and what this kind of like deep homesickness meant to me. And so I, <laughs> I had a notepad with me and I just started writing. I just started trying to get everything out to see if it would feel better if it was on a page. And then once I started, I kind of couldn't stop. I just kept writing as a way to make sense of everything. And it was so transformative. It made me feel so much more comfortable with complexity and with nuance and with the fact that we don't live in a world that is resolved and we can't be resolved with people. But can be full of this complexity and nuance and messiness and that to me is what what led me into poetry was trying to find peace within the messiness before 2015 pre-2015 what were you doing were you in a creative sphere before that yeah so pre-2015 i i left when i left school i moved up to the city i was living you know i grew up in the country and moved to Melbourne and studied film for a bit and kind of just kicked around and tried to find a, a sense of who I was and, you know, like I guess any person in their late teens and early twenties, but always kind of had creative outlets. When I studied film, I also started working in film, but never writing really. I thought writing was this very elite form that I didn't really know how to do. <laughs> I think the way that I grew up knowing about poetry and particular when I was at school it was very much like old white men from Europe and North America who spoke in this really elite way and you know you do these close readings and it just felt so 
abstracted and inaccessible and I did I didn't think poetry was a form that was like inviting or relevant to me at all. It felt really archaic rather than contemporary. So it definitely wasn't a form that I thought I could like access, particularly as like a queer indigenous kid in regional Australia. That was just like a bit far out. And writing more generally, I just, I thought it was like this very incredible craft, but um, it didn't seem relevant to me. And then you were on? I was on a bus. So when I moved overseas, a friend had given me a collection of love poems by Dorothy Porter, and they were just so relevant to who I was. There was a lot of like, Dorothy was a queer woman, and a lot of her writing talks about like, realizing that she wasn't in love with men in the same way that she was in love with women and this like seismic shift in her in her world and I was reading this and I was like that's how I feel (laughs) I wonder if it will feel good to write it as well and that totally changed the trajectory in my life I think like it changed the way that I was able to understand myself because I felt really seen and reflected and once I started looking for it I mean I was just ignorant but there's such a plethora of writers who are writing in that space and particularly poets first nation poets queer poets um who who are so wonderful at making those hard or scary things feel really accessible and contained and normal and safe in a lot of ways so that was kind of how I came to it but I guess I, I didn't stop working in film, so I still kind of bring those two spaces together. I, I used to work for an art museum in Sydney doing their digital uh, content production, but since leaving them to kind of pursue freelance work full-time, I now get to kind of make up my own jobs. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, which is such a privilege and stressful, but yeah. <laughs> great. <laughs> totally. I also think that it's really quite beautiful and poignant and powerful that someone else's art resonated so strongly with you and now you've kind of almost gone full circle and now your art resonates with so many people. Oh, that's such a lovely thing to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was just a thought, not a question. (laughs) So in terms of your trajectory then, right? So your path was changed. You you were going in one direction and not only did you pick up a pen and start writing, but you also sort of changed your trajectory in many other ways. How did it go from being on this bus and thinking, okay, I'm going to start writing to now where you are as a freelance artist and creating your poems for the public? How did that come to be? So I started writing very shyly at first and it was very much personal and not ever intended for an audience so the shift to now being read by people is like a bit of it it's a massive mental leap particularly when I was pulling together the poems that went in the book because a lot of them I wrote long before I ever thought someone would read them and it's an incredibly vulnerable thing to put those things out into the world I came back to Australia and I started just realizing that there's this really rich poetry community that I just hadn't plot in my ignorance so in like 2018 I had this huge stack of kind of poems that I'd been writing and I just very shyly and (laughs) started putting them in places so you know I'd submit them to a journal or I'd submit them to a prize 
And I was very lucky at that point to be received with kindness and generosity and, you know, for a couple of those poems to like win prizes or be published and stuff, which felt really affirming and great. And I, I wonder if that <laughs> those first few little forays out hadn't done well if I would have just, you know, packed up shop. So I guess like putting stuff out there, it's nerve wracking, but it's good. That's that's kind of my for other folk who want to maybe get published. It's just about like getting over that first mental load of <laughs> how terrifying it can be. Absolutely, uh, ripping off the band aid. Totally. So yeah, it just it just sort of happened from there, and then I I was incredibly lucky last year in twenty twenty to win the David Unicorn Award from the State Library of Queensland, and. That is a prize for an unpublished manuscript by a First Nations writer, which I'd pulled together this manuscript, you know, at some point, and I'd submitted it to, like, I think two publishers and hadn't heard back from one at all, and then the other one, you know, got back from six months later being like, our books are full, which is totally fine. But I was really like, oh, okay, that's fine. There's enough poetry in the world. And then I think two days maybe before the Anayapon submissions closed I like happened to stumble upon the call out and was like well I have this manuscript that's kind of ready to go and and just put it in the pot not really thinking it would ever get anywhere but just hoping that someone might read it (laughs) someone in the world would read it and then I might have a sense of if it was you know awful or not winning that just again like totally changed everything I suddenly felt like it was a form that I could pursue in 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 some way and felt suddenly that there were people who might want to actually read it and and hold a collection, which is very humbling, but very overwhelming. <laughs> now, speaking of that collection, it's called How to Make a Basket, and it has a number of your wonderful poems in it. What What would you say inspires your poetry, or at least the poetry that's within that collection? The poetry that's in How to Make a Basket, it comes from such a wide span from when I started writing to now. And I think it really charts in a lot of ways, like my shifting awareness of audience and the power of words. Initially, I wrote a lot of like love poems, a lot of poems about myself and trying to figure out like who I was and what was going on. And then after I started getting published a little bit, I realized that, you know, someone was going to read what I was writing. It's such an incredible platform to, you know, be an advocate and work as an activist for First Nations issues, for queer issues, for climate. For, you know, there's, there's so much that um, needs to be spoken about more often. So the collection sort of, I think, charts a lot of those disparate interests. But I think really a lot of it comes down to the stories that we tell and we don't tell. Kind of find space for quiet stories or forgotten stories, thinking about how memory operates in our bodies and in our lives and in the world around us. I think it can feel a bit messy, though I've been assured by some other people that it's not so messy. But I do hope in that sense that actually there's a lot of different things that might resonate with a lot of different people at different levels, rather than just being, say, a person of love poetry or just a collection of protest poetry Mm -hmm. kind of operates in different ways. When you were younger, did you ever imagine that you would be a well-received and award-winning poet? <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't even know this was a job until mm. I started doing it. Um, 
and and it's such a beautiful job and it's such a like rich dynamic community but I think I don't know I think I thought poets were made up or like this thing from like a bygone era the idea that there could be someone who gets to be contemporaneously getting to write and connect with people through words is it's a dream job but I could never anticipated getting to do it I can imagine that you never anticipated this and I also get this sense, you know, I speak to a lot of different people about a lot of different things. And I think that artists generally have so much more of an insecurity surrounding what they do because (laughs) it's kind of intangible and because it's creative and it's usually quite personal. I think that it's hard, you know, I've spoken to so many artists that are like, oh, I don't even know if I could consider if I would call myself an artist and and it does really take those those moments where you get you know you win this award or you you get published in this journal for you to go oh okay I'm actually being tangibly validated which is so interesting because it's such a different it's such a different sphere to what so many people are used to I I completely resonate with that I think that's something that I really personally uh, grapple with as someone who like now makes art a little bit and like, I never went to art school. I never really intended to kind of move into this space, and so I feel so fraudulent. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm constantly trying to, like, reconcile how, how this happened and at what point it will feel legitimate. Though someone did say to me at one point, like, there's never a day where Hagrid appears and says, like, you're an artist. <laughs> you just one day have to come to terms with it all by yourself. <laughs> totally. It's such an interesting thing because you, it, especially with in, in moments like this where, yeah, it's not like, oh, you get a degree in this particular thing and then you go off and you be a whatever. And that's, that's that, you know, it's a, it's an organic progression. And certainly in your case, it's a, an organic and, and sort of serendipitous progression. And, and I feel like that's partially why I still feel like it's much easier to identify as a filmmaker because I feel like I train as a technical craft person in a very particular direction and use that craft still. So that feels very tangible. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Speaking of filmmaking, you do both. How do you think that they inform each other if they do at all? I love thinking about this because I do I've noticed that there's quite not so many, but there are a few people that work across both these fields and I think that's really interesting. I think both forms, both poetry and filmmaking. I, I work predominantly these days doing editing in films. I do filming and like behind camera stuff as well, but I, I, my preference is editing. I, I really enjoy that part of the craft. And I think in both those places, in editing film and in writing poetry, you're taking a pre-existing language and a pre-existing way of understanding information and reshaping it and reconfiguring it to try and present something new with that pre-existing material. And I think that's a really interesting thing to kind of get to play with and work with, to put, put two images next to each other and in doing so draw a connection between them or create a division between them and potentially making a third space where new information is revealed just by presenting those two things next to each other. I think is one of the great joys I draw from both film and from poetry. Why is creating important to you? Why is writing down your thoughts and and writing these poems important to you personally, jazz personally? (laughs) Uh, I think there's a couple of different answers to that. One is I don't know how to not do it. I 
feel very compelled to make and even when I'm working in places that aren't necessarily creative, I need a creative outlet to sort of feel satisfied. I think on a sort of step beyond that, I think it's really important for a multitude of voices to be heard and represented and seen. I know that certainly when I was growing up, I didn't know about people that could be living the life that I live or happy in that. I <laughs> that was something that was very inaccessible to me where I grew up and the idea that perhaps someone might read a piece that I have written or watch something that I've made and potentially have like a new experience and perhaps an empathetic experience or an experience of seeing themselves in some way and maybe taking comfort from that. That as a concept is so motivating that it keeps me going <laughs> and keeps me really excited by this space. And then there's a kind of further opportunity to actually just get to connect with people that if I wasn't creating in the same way, I, I don't know where I would find these opportunities to sort of connect with these really beautiful um, ways that my job does allow for. So it's half selfish and half <laughs> hopefully operating from a little bit less of a selfish space. Speaking of that element of connection, has there been a moment or moments since you unleashed your poetry to the world that's really validated what you do? Yeah, I, I have felt incredibly fortunate in the way that my work has been received since I sort of started being more open about it. But I do have one very cheesy story that I think sums it up quite nicely, which is in June this year, just before the most recent round of lockdowns in New South Wales, I had an opportunity to perform at the Opera House, which was incredibly thrilling and terrifying, and performed with a beautiful friend, Bethan Hamilton, who gets the word through when the Opera House called and said, like, do you want to perform for an hour? Oh, that sounds awful. Who would want to listen to poetry <laughs> for an hour? So Zeppelin's an amazing guitarist, and, and we pulled together this sort of thing. It was both poetry and, and guitar. And it, was, it was a really lovely event, and we got to do it twice, but at the end of the second night, this little kid, this like baby five-year-old came up to me and she said, when I grow up, I want to be a poet. And Aww. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And it, it just totally broke me. And I think at that event, probably because of the name, how public it was, the kids came up to me at the end to just give some feedback or say like hello and stuff. And that, that was so radically affirming and inspiring. Yeah, I... I'm constantly grateful to be heard or read in any capacity and getting opportunities to yeah, make connections, like I said before, make connections with people that I might not have had opportunities to meet otherwise is just such a joy and an honour. From what you said in your previous answer about the importance of what you do to you, that connection and also that someone like you could do what you do or aspire to do whatever it is that they want to do. And just visibility in general is so important. What would you tell someone who writes poetry and potentially doesn't believe that it's good enough to share or to be read? Oh, that's an interesting one. I think that if you find joy in writing poetry, that can be enough. 
like I think we do live in a society that totally glorifies monetary success or publishing success or visibility in some way that I don't know if it necessarily brings you greater joy. Like I, I love that I get to do my job, but sometimes I wonder if monetizing the thing that used to bring me solace and now brings me stress was an interesting choice. And not one that I regret at all, but I don't think we need to buy into this societal pressure to have these arbitrary markers of success. I think something brings you joy that can be enough. In saying that, if you've got this voice and you've got something to say and you do want to be read by others and you do think you can connect with others through your writing, then it's terrifying, but just put yourself in those spaces and, you know, submit to journals, read other people's writing, I think that's a really great way to become a more confident writer is to see how diverse other people's writing is and how meaningful that diversity is. And if you're, you know, a person of colour, a First Nations person, a queer person, a person with a disability, anyone who's from a marginalised and minority group, like those voices are so critically important to showing the complexity and beauty and nuance of the world that we're living in. And don't hide your light if you want to. Sh- if you want to let it out, just please, <laughs> please find the spaces because there's so many opportunities for those voices to be amplified and upskilled if if you can be brave enough to kind of go looking for them. Jazz Money is brave enough to share her voice with the world, and that is evident in her work. I wondered about that work. What does a day in the life of Jazz look like? Are they writing all day? <laughs> I wish. I can't tell you the last time that I just sat down and wrote without, you know, a deadline being two days gone and me sending an email being like, I'm so sorry, I will get back to you very soon. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's difficult because it is it is a creative thing. So, you know, what you might wake up one morning and be like, I don't, I can't, I don't feel like it today. Yeah. It's, it's, so uh, a day in my kind of job is very varied. I have a lot of clients that I still make films for, and that is something that I do try to prioritise. The film clients are usually paying me quite well, so I do feel like I need, need them to survive. So balancing editing against writing against other little bits that make life happen. I'm also doing a master's, which is great. Um, it is just kind of, then kind of find time to be reading academic papers and also just reading because reading is great and beautiful, but also because reading is part of my job as a writer to know what other people are doing. So all of those things, which is beautiful, but trying to not spend six hours of the day just catching up on emails that I've rejected. <laughs> so there are some emails that get neglected, but also some creations created. Before I let them go, I asked Jazz what the worst and best parts of what they do are. The worst part is the admin of being a self-employed, freelance, creative person. It's the emails. I just, I can't keep on top of them. But <laughs> You'd be surprised how many people say it's the admin of their job. Seriously. So many people. I know, what's the secret? Where are all these freelance <laughs> admin workers that you can hire for the day to sort out your life? <laughs> and I think the best part is the freedom and the ability to get to sort of be so self-directed in a lot of ways and to work with others who are doing really exciting, creative things. I, I mean, in the last, like, 
year, even despite the pandemic, I've been working with people in Western Australia and Melbourne and Queensland and in the Territory and in South Australia, and it's just like, oh, and internationally as well, people, you know, in New York and Switzerland and all this, like, mad exciting shit, and it's just, I wouldn't have those opportunities if I wasn't able to guide the trajectory of what I'm doing by myself and, and kind of being available for those things that come from having surrendered the nine to five, the stability of working in an office. So that part is the best, but also particularly terrifying. Do you think that you'll be creating poetry forever? Oh, that's an interesting question. I have no idea what forever looks like. And <laughs> I've had a lot of creative pursuits in my life that I've been tickled with, but I feel like poetry is something that is so generative for me personally that I can't currently imagine living without it, without it as a reader and as a writer. I hope at this point that it is something that I, I remain in love with. I'd like to extend a huge thank you to Jazz Money for being on the show. It's been incredibly insightful hearing about how she found poetry, why it's important to find and share your voice, and about their book, How to Make a Basket. For more info about that and Jazz Money, head to jazz.money. Thank you for listening to the show as well. It really means a lot, and I love creating it for you. If you love it as much as I do creating it, then please share it with your friends and family. They can get all the weekly insight that you do. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to another episode of How Do You Do That with Emily Tresseter. If you think you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, get in touch. Email howdoyoudothat at joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.